0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ifcast, the forward-looking tech podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Hagar, and with me this week, I have Max Slavkin and Aaron Perry-Zucker of Creative Action Network. Guys, how are you?
1: Hey. We're great. Thanks for having us, Nick.
0: Of course. Thanks for being here. Um, So before we get started, I want to point out, um, before the call dropped the video, I saw that you're decked out in matter gear, um, and y'all are the Third company, I believe, that I've talked to on the show that has gone through Matter. Um I've also talked to Lindsay Stewart, of Stringer, and Will Mayo spoken lair So gotta give a shout out to Matter for supplying the show with guests.
1: And Matter's pretty small community, so that's like 80% of the Matter universe you've already talked to. <laughs> it's
0: a small world. I can't believe that happened. Um
1: also, for the record, Aaron's decked out in Matter Gear, but I'm decked out in Creative Action Network gear. Okay. To set that record
0: straight. <laughs> no, it's good to know. I can't see you anymore, so I had to take a guess. Uh, but so to kick it off, can you tell me, first of all, a little bit about what each of you do at Creative Action Network specifically? What are your roles?
2: Um, I explained this really awkwardly to somebody before, so I'm going to try and do this better this time. Um, <laughs> We're a pretty complementary pair. Max has a lot of skills that I don't have, and vice versa. Um, So I like to think I do most of the internal work, a lot of the product design, community management, anything that design touches pretty much, and a lot of the making the art machine continue to run on a day-to-day basis. Um, You can speak for yourself. (laughs)
1: Um, I usually think of it as I'm work on where our machine intersects with the rest of the outside world. So that's uh, our cause partners, recruiting and working with our cause partners, sales, marketing, PR, retail relationships, um, all those sorts of things.
0: Okay. And then can you, I guess, back up a little bit too, uh, explain what is Creative Action Network? What do you all do?
1: Um, What do we do? Well, Creative Action Network is a global community of artists and designers harnessing our talents for good. And we run crowdsource campaigns around causes where we invite anyone and everyone to contribute original work around a specific creative brief for a cause. And then we make all that work available for sale as posters, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, more and more products uh, with the proceeds supporting the artists and the cause. So the main idea here is Uh, generating more art to tell important stories about causes that matter and supporting independent artists by giving them a marketplace to create and sell new work Um, yeah
0: great and I guess I should disclose too as well um, I just finished doing work with you all um, and it's amazing and
1: everyone should go (laughs) check it out Nick's Animation uh, and see if you can guess which classic book title he's animating it's really fun Thank you. Thank you
0: for the (laughs) plug. Thank you for the plug. Uh, (laughs) No, it was, it was a really exciting project. Um, and I definitely am a fan of the work you all do. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about where the idea came from and why you decided that, um, this space needed to be filled?
2: Yeah, it sort of happened by accident as many good things do. Um, this whole company has its roots in a project in the summer of 2008. Um, our first campaign designed for Obama, where uh, we were both students and I had been working with uh, Campaign a lot doing design work and it was the summer that Shepherd Fairy's poster went really big and it opened a lot of designers' eyes saying, whoa, you know, I could make a poster for the campaign. Um, but very few people had dis- distribution networks like Shepherd Fairy to get their work all over the place. Um, so we created this website that allowed any designer to upload their own poster art for the campaign and any supporter to download it Um, high-resolution and printed, tiled, and everything. So it was very much a right place at the right time kind of thing. And we ended up getting, in a matter of months, a huge collection, hundreds of really awesome designs from across the country and around the world. And they all started to show up in windows and at rallies uh, for then-Senator Barack Obama. And it just was really, really cool. Um, we ended up publishing a book with uh, filmmaker and activist Spike Lee that highlighted the whole collection after he found a redone version of one of his movie posters in the collection. Um, and so we published this book. It was a huge surprise. And this big community of artists turned to us and said, like, that was really cool. Now what's next? Um, and we really had no idea what was next. And took a, a while to figure out how to replicate the same kind of project without a national presidential campaign to piggyback off of. Um, and a few years later, we're now at Creative Action Network. where We're living our dreams of running a network of interconnected campaigns like this, um, assuming that there was going to be a lot of people you know, on the design side that would be interested in a lot of different causes, and that uh, on the customer side, too, you know, people that are interested in a poster about the environment are more likely to be interested in a poster maybe supporting their local library.
0: Yeah, no, that's really... Interesting. Um, and then I guess what strikes me about that and what you've done um, is the fact that it's really cause-driven, you know, that your entire model is sort of based on not so much, I don't know, to rephrase that, it's, just, it's interesting that causes drive everything that you've done so far. And I wonder if that's something that I don't know that you've thought a lot about or that is affecting your scale as you go forward or anything like that.
2: Absolutely, that's something that you know from the get go. Um, there were a lot of well, there are some people that were doing similar things, and we took a lot of inspiration from Threadless in particular. But for a lot of these groups, if there was a cause component, it was secondary, and we thought that in in order for you know the cause to really come through, it can't be like an add on. We do this one thing, oh, and also we give back, but that we really wanted that to be the centerpiece of. You know what was driving us, and that that was a large part of what was driving all the designers. That you know there are people that were creatively unfulfilled in some aspect, and that wanted to use their time and their talent to support causes, short of you know going and getting a full-time job working at those companies.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And where we've built Can and modeled it largely inspired
1: by the WPA from the 1930s and the New Deal, when the government was as part of the Great Depression, FDR set up these programs to hire uh, you know, teachers to work in schools and librarians to work in libraries and builders to build roads and also artists to make art. And Half of the equation was just the artists need work too and let's get them paid to do what they do. Um, but then the second half was that the country needed art about important issues. That it's not just for the artist's sake, it's for all of our sakes. So back then those causes ranged from uh, read your kids more, to drink more milk, to don't get syphilis, to see America in the national parks. Um, and it achieved both of those things at the same time of giving artists jobs and giving the country uh, inspiration and stories that they needed to hear. And that's kind of what we're, we're set out to do.
0: Um, no, I definitely want to talk more about that model in a minute. And I know that um, the See America is one that you've sort of done also. Um, But now can you talk a little bit about how big is the organization, both in the sense of how big are you on the team side and also how many campaigns have you done? What's your scale on the artist side?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, We're a small team of four at at Cannes uh, with a larger team of advisors and community who kind of help us out and make things happen. Uh, We've run a few dozen campaigns so far. We do maybe a half a dozen each year. Um, and we're a community of over 10,000 artists and designers around the world who have contributed art to one cause or another and growing every day.
0: Great. And then so along with that, I also want to talk a little bit about crowdsourcing because I think it's a really interesting model. I wonder how relying on such a large community, like you said, it's 10,000 artists outside of your team, and I wonder how relying on that for your business has affected sort of how you look at scaling and growing over time.
1: Um, I mean it's both I think crowdsourcing means there's a big opportunity and that you know 10,000 people can make a lot more art than Aaron and I could make on our own and as we grow that community to more and more artists that means a lot more opportunity to tell more stories around more causes um, there is an intentional limitation in this scale and that if we didn't care about causes we could do more campaigns uh, and we've been approached before from advertising, agencies or brands who want to crowdsource art to promote their product or service and it's just not why we started can it's not why our artists are involved it's not what we're trying to do so even if it means a smaller scale at the end of the day it's still a pretty big scale of what can be done uh, supporting artists and causes together and that's fine by us
0: sure and then sort of along with that i wonder what unique challenges does this crowdsourcing model pose
2: I think a lot of them are of scale. You know, a lot of people that have tried to do things like this are doing them with their friends, or you know, a few up to a dozen people. Um, and that we're trying to build a machine that we can, you know, put a lot of people and a lot of art through, and that can act in a way that you know amplifies all of these things and does so pretty uniformly. Um, so, you know, from the technical side, that's you know how to bring all these people together in a way that they can, on their own coherently tell collective stories, which is you know the ideal outcome where you can pick it apart so you can you know look down and see, oh, what's this one poster or this one design, but that when you're looking at a collection as a whole, you know, it, it's sort of telling this larger story than any one designer could on their own. Something we're trying to do more of than you know what you did with that awesome
1: animation is use the work in more ways and tell more stories that our default is yeah a big bucket of lots of work that you can browse through a few different ways, but it's by no means the only way one can experience a collection like that. So animations and videos and more ways to tie that work together is something we're hoping to do a lot more of moving forward.
0: Right, and that's definitely interesting. I want to touch on that later too. Um, But when you were talking about Aaron... The idea of trying to sort of coordinate this massive amount of artwork so that it tells a cohesive message. I wonder how do you go about addressing that problem and how do you go about sort of editing or selecting what is included in that campaign?
2: Um, Great question. So we don't select or edit what's in a campaign for the most part, um, but we're big believers in constraints matter. and we sort of go out for each campaign and create very, you know, intentionally a creative brief that is similar to, you know, an assignment if you're in art school where there is a set of objectives and we anticipate a range of, you know, diverse solutions to the problem. And whenever we're putting these briefs together, trying to imagine, you know, what's the most literal way that somebody can interpret this, and what's the most abstract way somebody can interpret this, and then what does the range between those two look like? So we, you know, we're know, we accounting for diversity, and that's you know one of the coolest parts of how these campaigns work is we say, you know, here's one requirement, and now we're going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of different people interpret it their own way, and that by design, you know, they have enough in common that they stand together on their own. Um, and that when you look at them individually, piece by piece, still they have enough clues that lead back to the larger whole. So a lot of it is in how we design campaigns and how we're approaching a creative problem. It's got to be something fun for the designer, an interesting challenge, that the outcome is also interesting, and that it's for a cause that's been underserved by the creative community so that it would really benefit from a really huge, diverse collection of work, rather than you know a cause looking for their one poster child, you know, that they're going to take away from everything. Um, and I think that informs another approach too, is that we're very much not running contests, and that we've learned that that's you know pretty much the norm in this space when it comes to big organizations, whether for profit or nonprofit, that want to work with you know, the creative community, in quotes, at scale, their their default mode is let's set up, you know, winners and losers, let's put a prize as an incentive, and we'll elevate the ones that we like the most, and we won't use the rest. Um, but coming from, you know, grassroots political organizing background, that just is super backwards, where you would never have a situation where you get a bunch of volunteers to come and help your cause, and they're all going to have one job, say, you know, going door to door to collect information which is pretty standard and you're going to use the information of the one winner and you're going to throw everybody else's information and you know out and devalue their participation entirely like it's crazy that never happens but that's essentially what's happening on the contest side of you know you got this really big pool of all these talented people that really want to help your cause and by selecting one winner you're telling everyone else that they're not winners so you know, part of it for us is an expectation game of, at the bare minimum, everyone's on the same foot of everyone has a print-for-sale. Um, if you meet the requirements of the campaign, you have print-for-sale. You know, there's no curation, there's no other metric by which we post work, and from that, you know, jumping-off point, a whole bunch of other things can happen, but at the very, very least, you as an individual, you know, creative person has contributed your time and talent to a project that is larger than yourself and you did so, you know, using your skills. And that's super cool. And then anything else that happens on top of that, and we like to, you know, work and make sure that lots of things happen on top of that, whether it's sales, whether it's cool partners sharing your work, whether it's doing other things with your work like publishing them in books or having, you know, fellows animate them. All of these things are just added benefits that you weren't expecting and that encourage, you know, repeat participation so that A lot of these people that came and had their work published for the first time in our Design for Obama book were that much more incentivized to come and contribute work the next time because who knows what will happen.
0: Right. No, that's very interesting, too. Um, And I want to dive into that since you mentioned it a little bit. You have this massive database, essentially, of artwork that you have across all these campaigns. Um, And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about some of the uses beyond that basis that you talked about that you're trying to promote. Like, I know you talked about a little bit about the book and the animation, but could you go more specifically into the things that you're doing to try and bring the art to the top, I guess?
2: Absolutely. Um, And I think there are a couple of different types, too. You know, there's the whole world of how our partners make use of art and artists and stories. Um, And so we've been doing a lot of work with our various partners to, you know, not just post their favorite designs regularly, but do more involved things like putting on their own gallery shows and, you know, running their own artist interviews. And it's been really cool to see some of our partners like the National Parks Conservation Association, um, who used Sea America designs entirely for their annual report. Um, And Earth Justice, who's doing the wolf campaign with us, Join the Pack, um, is similarly starting a whole series of artist interviews and, you know, sharing it. So on the one hand, there's the getting the the cause partners to make the most use of all of these stories. Um, and on the other hand, there's making the most use of all the artwork from our end. And that's been, you know, it started with selling things through our website. Everything's all print on demand and there's a lot of products that we can offer. Um, and so not just a pile of prints, but, you know, pulling other things out and curating and handmaking a lot of cool other products on top of that. Um, But even that, we can only sell to, you know, our collective online audience, which is pretty small compared to, you know, a lot of big, 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 you know, retail audiences. So we've been spending a lot of time making roads into the world of, like, retail licensing and figuring out how to, um, you know, we just published our first calendar and book for Sea America. Um, which is, you know, a huge collection of pieces in a new form and sold on other sales distribution channels and in, you know, other places that we don't have access on our own to sell and are, you know, doing similar projects to um, approach just whole other markets and products that we haven't done, like, you know, big retail apparel.
0: Sure, and then also on the campaign side, uh, can you just give me a quick rundown of all the active campaigns you have going on right now, and then tell me a little bit about how you pick them and how you decide what you're going to tackle.
2: Absolutely. So we've got a long and growing list of campaigns, and that was part of our inspiration actually from the beginning was seeing a lot of little one-off projects that would launch when there was an exciting moment and then would like fall by the wayside when whoever, you know, was doing it in their spare time didn't feel like doing it anymore. So We've absorbed a number of older campaigns and all of our campaigns are ongoing, um, always accepting new submissions because, you know, we think there should be a place where all these things live, but we've got campaigns now about um, gun violence, campaigns for public domain literature, new covers, um, Vote the Environment, national parks, um, libraries, celebrating gay marriage, We've got a wolf campaign for protecting wolves on the endangered species list, moments in sports that transcended the game and impacted culture, um, and we've got a handful of new campaigns that we're getting ready to launch, and we always have you know, a pipeline of campaigns we're working on. Um, but to your question about what, how we go about picking and creating new campaigns, um, that is a process that we've been developing over time, and there's really no one way um, some campaigns have started with um, cause partners coming to us saying, you know, here's a problem that we have, like, we're trying to keep wolves on the endangered species list, and here's how we think art and artists could help, and other ones like Sea America, we just, you know, we, we were long fans of the original Sea America program in the WPA and thought it would just be a really cool idea to revive that program for today, now that there are a lot more national parks and other monuments And we're able to get a partner on board with that idea. So um, it goes either way, but generally we are trying to find ideas that fit a lot of different criteria for a lot of different people. Um, With our main role as building this bridge between um, nonprofit cause groups who are pretty bad at working with creative people and creative people at scale and with the creative people that don't often run in the same circles as a lot of these big groups, Um, we're trying to please a lot of different people at the same time so it's got to be an interesting and fun creative project for you know our our artists and designers so that they get excited about doing it and you know things like see america with the original see america posters were um, very impactful for a lot of designers working today and so the the idea of you know making your own was really compelling and at the same time there was a big group Um, the National Parks Conservation Association, and many more like them, and their whole audience that love everything about national parks and are always making arguments for, you know, their protection and their increased budgets and for, you know, the conservation of new land. And this was a completely different way of going about and making that argument for them um, that really resonated with a lot of their members. So um, it's a process of trying to find ways of making all these groups happy simultaneously, um, so that they can work together successfully, and of you know turning issues that may start off as like politically divisive niche issues and figuring out how to approach them in a mainstream, sort of you know more accessible way that lowers barriers for all of these different groups so they can come together.
0: Sure. And then uh, when you talk about this whole process and trying to make these groups happy and get them to work together, that's sort of, leads me back into thinking about the business side of this. I'm wondering how you balance everything because you have this making these relationships happen and making them work and you have this whole side of the business that's managing the art and dealing with artists and then this whole technical side and the sales side and I wonder how you prioritize them and balance it because it is a lot and I would say it's more than something like an app development company would have to deal with as they're growing.
2: <laughs> which is why we're not an app development company.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we try to keep keep them separate. Off, in the same way, a lot of journalism organizations try to keep kind of the business and sales side separate from the editorial side. That the, you know, for the most part, which campaigns we do come from us and our community about what we care about, and then separate. You know, once that independent decision is made, then we go about the work of making money off of it. Um, Luckily for us, it's all related. I don't think they're all necessarily as totally different worlds as as it may seem in that, um, you know, more sales or more retail partners means more people seeing the art, means the artist is happier, means there's more impact on the cause. So ideally, they all kind of work together. Um, we're not in it to, you know, as a get-rich-quick scheme, but without making any money, none of this can happen. So that's kind of Think of
0: it. And I think that's an interesting perspective because for me, it sounds like the art is really the focus of the business. And I guess that's not so much typical of technical startups, right? Because if you were if it was a more technical focused startup, it would be focused on the platform and using sort of the art as a way to scale the platform, right? And so I don't know, I that that's just something that strikes me as interesting. It's sort of a different perspective than I think typical startup idea is.
1: I think often the structures are a little more rigid than they should be in that there's the typical startup uh, structure of growing as fast as you can to make as much money as you can. And then there's the nonprofit structure of not making any money and focusing exclusively on a cause. And there's not a whole lot of options in between in terms of legal recognition or funding or resource options or things like that. We just recently became a certified B Corp to try to get a step closer and in ingraining some of the values into our bottom line and board responsibilities and things. Um, but you're right in noting that it's it's unique and that it, there aren't a lot of them, but they're growing to be more and more of them. So we think over time, more and more companies are going to be doing the exact same thing.
2: Well, that was how we started, too. Our, our first hypothesis of scaling this as a business was making a tech platform, and that's what we tried to do. And we pretty quickly figured out that tech was a part of what we were doing, but it was by no means like, you know, what was making the difference. And if we just handed somebody the technology that we were using, they wouldn't just automatically, you know, make the same sort of success that we were. And that caused us to step back and say, okay, so what are we doing separate from the tech? And how do we, you know, build a business around that? And that's what's Mm. led us here.
0: Sure. No, that's really interesting. Um, and I I don't know, I guess when you say that this portion of the market is growing, there will be more companies that sort of tackle this line between nonprofit and this sort of startup environment. I wonder how that market, how do you see it being underserved now? What do you think is going to change as more people enter this space to make it, you know, more efficient and work better?
1: I mean, I think in general the idea of you know mission-driven brands or companies with a social conscious double bottom line, double bottom lines. Yeah, I think it's getting a lot more mainstream. So you think now some of the rock stars in that space, like Tom's Shoes, for example, who does the cool shoes and then the the give back of shoes to people who need them. Um, I think over time that that's not going to be. The thing the young millennial tech company does, like Tom's, but the standard by which all shoe companies operate, and as you know, that spreads across industries. The idea that your core business function involves social responsibility, I think, is spreading and going to be not unique to niche businesses like Tom's or us, but to everybody.
2: Well, it changes everything too. You know, customer expectation changes, as does you know what investors are comfortable investing in, and sort of all of these things move little by little together. I think there's a generational aspect of it, too,
1: in that people uh, you know, generally around our age care a lot more about the things they buy reflecting their values than previous generations have. And as that generation spends more money and gains more power and buys more stuff, the companies are going to have to change to reflect that.
0: Okay, so you see it as not even a niche market in the near future, but just something that becomes a value that companies operate by in general, as a reflection of what consumers want then.
1: I think so. I mean, I think we're already seeing it, and that even the biggest companies are at least trying to act like they're socially responsible, Mm -hmm. and I think you can debate how substantive some of those claims are with some of the bigger companies, but... The fact that they've gone from not mentioning at all to working hard to seem like they care shows to us a trend line that they're going to be making more and more changes and being disrupted more and more by companies who reflect the values of consumers better.
0: Sure. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds in the near future. Yeah. Um, and now, real quickly, could you just run through uh, Creative Action Network's revenue model? How do you all go about making money from this art?
1: Um, So two main ways. One is through e-commerce. Anyone can upload art, and then we make all that art available for sale, print-on-demand as posters, T-shirts, and other goods. So for all of those sales, the artist gets 40% of the profits, the cause gets a cut, and the rest goes back to us. Um, And then it's basically the same model for the other option, which is licensing, where a group will license our art to publish a book or publish a calendar or to make coasters or to make t-shirts or do whatever and pay us a royalty. And then whatever royalty we, we get is split amongst the artist and the cause the same way it sales on our website are.
0: Okay. And then can you tell me real quick, uh, what is your short-term plan for the Creative Action Network? And then in the long run, what's sort of your vision for the company?
1: Um, short term, right now, we're doing a lot of work on uh, our See America campaign as one big initiative this year. It's been a great campaign, and this year is the hundredth birthday of the National Park Service. So, with that centennial, there's a lot of activity around the parks that we're uh, getting involved in, including launching, releasing our See America book that Chronicle Books has published. That's coming out in March and available for pre order on Amazon now. Shameless plug. <laughs>
0: um,
1: Moving forward, we want to do more campaigns and we want to become basically what the WPA was in the 1930s, of a way to put the country's artists to work at a major scale and tell stories that
0: matter. I'm very excited to see that happen. Um, Guys, where can people find you online if they want to check it out?
1: CreativeAction.network is our website. And we're also on the social medias, Creative Action Network, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you get your internets.
0: Great. And is there anything else you want to plug um, besides, obviously, the See America book?
1: And your fabulous animations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, that too. Yeah. We can't forget of that. Of
1: fabulous animations. Um, I want to reemphasize that every campaign is open for submissions. And anyone listening out there who finds themselves creatively inclined should create and submit some art to one of our campaigns.
0: Amazing. guys, Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud. Be sure to subscribe. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Nick Hagar on Twitter. Our theme song, of course, is by Grant Nil, and I handle production and design. Uh, thanks again, and have a great week.